We are now in the last message of our series called Knowing God, and um, this has been um, a, a pretty uh, cool process for us over the last eight weeks to really dig into who God is, and we've gotten to see some beautiful things that are held within, right? I mean, we have been reminded of just how big God is, and it's always great to, to remember just how amazing, how powerful He is. We've talked about how He's in control in our lives, that He knows what He's doing, and so we need to trust in Him, reminded of what He's accomplished for us right through His mercy and grace race and just these beautiful things that we need to be reminded of. And, and so it's been such a great process. And honestly, if I'm being really truthful, I'm a little sad that we have to close the book on this series today because I have um, enjoyed it so much. And, and I really do mean that. In fact, as I was reflecting over this series, um, what, man, what I really was just thinking about is how awesome it has been to get to really open up the intimate complexities of, of the one that I love. You know what I mean when I say that? Like to get to really open up and see who God is, all of his intricacies and all of the things that he truly is about. I think about kind of like the dating process that so many of us have, have been through where when you find that special person and somebody that you really care for and you see and, and learn new things about them, it really is exhilarating, right? It's like, oh, that's so awesome. I, I, I know them better. I understand them better. And it shapes kind of how you treat them and, and what you do for them, and you take some of that information, you put it in your back pocket, right, to, to make it special, and you grow in that relationship. And I feel like that's the process that, that we've got to enjoy over the last eight weeks. And so, again, I am a little bit sad that this is coming to a close, but here's what we've said from the very beginning, okay? We, we set this expectation from the very first message. We said, ultimately, this is about a lifelong relationship with God, right? So we said from the very beginning, this goes well past this eight weeks, and hopefully this is just the kickstart or the nudge that you needed um, to enter into or continue your relationship stronger with God. And so that's what we want to do well past this. We just want to keep digging in, keep getting to know him more and more. But today is, um, is the last message, and, um, and so I'm not going to really tease this anymore or kind of set it up any further because today is really the biggest topic that we're going to have talked about through this entire series. This is, is really ultimately the culmination because the, the attribute and the character trait that we wanted to end this series with um, is the love of God. Maybe you kind of picked up on this based off of the songs that we've been singing today, but this is how we want to end this series, by talking about, by recognizing, by understanding the true love of God, all right? Now, before we even dig into the content and begin to unpack what this really means for us and, and how we should respond to this, I wanted to start a little bit differently today. I really just wanted to start um, with a challenge for you guys, okay? I really want to challenge you before we even get into this because I think for so many of us, when we hear the concept, the love of God, 
I do think immediately um, we can begin to think, yeah, I already know about this one, right? Like I, I know all about this. We can move on to the next subject. I've heard the messages. I've sung the songs, yada, 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 right? But here's the challenge, okay? Here's, here's the real test. The question that I want you to ask yourself is not, have I heard these things before, okay? The real test and the real question is, are these things showing up in your life? That's the real test. Are these concepts, are these ideas, are these scriptures being played out in your life? Because if they are not, then listen, whatever head knowledge you thought you had, whatever you've heard about, whatever you've sung about is ultimately worthless. If there's nothing that goes beyond that knowledge, then it is worthless. One of uh, my personal goals heading into 2021, something I really wanted to be intentional about and kind of felt led to um, was to be a better husband. This is something that I, I just felt like I needed to grow in, be more intentional about. And so listen, if I had all of the head knowledge on how to be the perfect husband for my wife, if I knew everything that I should say, everything that I should do, if I knew it all, and yet in reality, I was abusive and domineering and not attentive to her, then what good would that head knowledge do for me, right? Ultimately, it's worthless if nothing follows it. So here's the challenge. I want us, as we go through these concepts today, even if you've heard it a hundred times before, I want you to continuously check yourself and ask, is this playing out in my life? Do I see this in my day-to-day -day thoughts and actions? Because I think if we take that personal, intimate approach, then we can walk out of here with an improved perspective and a stronger stance in our relationship with God. And I hope that's ultimately what we want, right? To walk out of here knowing our God better. And so this is the challenge, okay? So with that in mind, the reason that we have saved the love of God till the very end of this series um, is for a very intentional purpose. And that is um, the idea of true love and the idea of knowing God are much more deeply connected than you might initially think, okay? In fact, love and the knowledge of God are actually really inseparable. And let me show you what I mean when I say that. This is what we read in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. It says, the one who does not love does not know God. If you don't love, then you don't know God. So this is what this is telling me, that love is actually proof that we know God. Love is actually evidence that we know him. And let me tell you why that is. This is what we read a few verses later in verse 16. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. So catch this. Love is proof of knowing God because God is love. He, he himself is this very concept. And so catch this. In many ways, this whole endeavor of getting to know God that we've been digging into and, and trying to be serious about can really ultimately be summed up with this one single attribute, his love. And as you begin to think about some of the topics we've talked about through this series, it really makes sense, right? Think about um, the, the mercy of God. We've talked about the grace of God. We've talked about the peace of God. All of these things 
are ultimately driven by his love, right? And, and even when we talked about God's severity, right? His, his jealousy, right? His wrath, that it's his love that spares us from those things. All of this ultimately leads us back to his love. So catch this, this is important for you to understand. If we really want to get to know God, if we're serious about this, if we really wanna have the relationship and the connection with him that we say we want, then what we're understanding is that we need to have a really robust understanding of this topic. We really need to understand his love. That's how essential this is for us, okay? Now, here's the problem with this, okay? Here's where you and I are gonna immediately stumble in this process, and that is this word love um, is really one of the most misunderstood words in our vernacular today, right? Because we throw around the word love like it's going out of style, don't we? I mean, it's, it's kind of gotten out of control. In fact, we use it so much now that it's really become this very cheap word that holds very little meaning or substance. That's, that's ultimately what it has become. In fact, um, every Monday night, my wife and I, we sit down and we watch a show called The Bachelor. All right, it's this, this big dating show. And the only reason I do that is because I want to be a better husband, right? I'm just that loving and selfless. Uh, unfortunately, I enjoy it. Um, but here's what's so amazing to me. Every single season, every single season, six, seven, eight different people will profess their love for this individual that they hardly know at all. I mean, they, they, they have maybe spent a few hours with this person and they're professing their love for them. Every single time this happens, obviously, there's not much meaning behind that. There's not much substance be behind that. And, and we can make fun of that, and we do. But, but the truth of the matter is, you and I many times treat that word the same exact way. I promise you we do this. Like, I get that you enjoy cheese and, and pepperoni and sausage. You don't love pizza. You, you don't. There are some in the room that get dangerously close, but you don't love pizza. I promise you. And we do this with so many different things, right? Our television shows and our movies and our restaurants and our cars. I mean, we throw that word out like it's going out of style. And so what has happened as a result, catch this, is, is we've taken this word so far from its original intent and, and like its core meaning that catch this, you and I don't even really understand how it relates to the things that we really do or really should love anymore. Like we, we don't even make that connection anymore of what's really going on. So as elementary as this might seem, where we have to start with this topic today is with the very meaning of the word to begin with. What does love mean? What are we talking about when, when we say this? And if God is love, if this is who he is, how can we best understand this as it relates to his character, okay? So here's how we're gonna approach this. I want to give you a definition just one sentence of what God's love ultimately means. And then I want to break this down because here's what's going to happen. I'm going to put this on the screen so you can write it down and take a screenshot, whatever would be most helpful. But initially, this is going to seem really simple to you. All right, it's probably not going to click initially. And so we're going to have to really break this down to best understand our mindset on this. Okay, so here's the definition. Let's go ahead and put it up. God's love means that he eternally gives of himself to others. Let that soak in for a second. God's love means that he eternally gives of himself to others. 
okay? Now, again, maybe that's not hitting home for you, so let's break this down a little bit, okay? So let's first address what this means love is not, okay? Let's, let's start there. So what we're seeing here is the first thing we need to understand is that love is not just a feeling, Okay, love is not just this arbitrary feeling where we have to guess when we went from like to love. That's, that's not what we're talking about, okay? Love is a giving of oneself to another. That's, that's ultimately what we're talking about here. So catch this, love should not be tested by feeling. Love should not be tested by emotion. That's not the real test of love. Here's the real test of love, action. That, that's the test. That's where we really see what it's made of. Now, maybe you're thinking in your mind, yeah, but, but ultimately it's the feeling that drives the action, right? It's ultimately what's going on is what's driving it. And actually that's not even correct. The driving force of love is not feeling or emotion. Catch this. The driving force of love is commitment. You get that? Commitment is what should drive your love. Commitment should be your motive. Now, let me personalize this for a second. Do you always, be honest, do you always feel love toward your spouse? Do you always feel that way? Be honest. In fact, do you always feel love toward your child even? Is that always the feeling you have towards them? And, and before you answer that, let me give you an example of something that happened to me recently. Just this past week, I think it was Monday night, um, I woke up in the middle of the night, it's 3 a.m., um, to go to the restroom. 32 years old, somehow I have to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. So I've got a long life ahead of me. But, but I, I, I'm sure many parents, you guys can personalize this yourselves. But I, I laid back in bed and I could not have been more comfortable, right? I mean, I'm t I was just so snuggled up and I was about to doze off. And the thought crossed my mind to check the monitor to my daughter's room. Now, I don't know if I heard something or subconsciously something was going on. But sure enough, I look at the monitor and she's not in her bed. So 3 a.m., I'm dead tired. I'm stumbling to her room wondering what in the world is going on. I open the door. She's laying on the ground with no clothes on, going through her drawers trying to find some new clothes. Sure enough, I look to the bed. She's peed the bed. Now, um, I don't know how much... Uh, how it's possible really that that much liquid is in that little of a body. You know what I'm talking about? And half the bed is just soaked with pee. So middle of the night, man, I'm, you know, taking off the sheets and the pillow covers and trying to clean her up and get clothes on her. And she's bawling her eyes out. So I'm trying to, to comfort her, right? And, and before I know it, it's 4 a.m. and I can't go back to bed, right? I mean, my mind is running. My body's already up. There's no way I'm going back to bed. So listen, if love was a feeling, can I be honest with you? I'd have went right back to bed. Honestly, that's what I felt like doing, right? She can fend for, she'll figure it out, right? She's three years old, she'll get it together. But, but if that were love, how weak would that be? Do you know what I mean? If that were love, how fragile would that be? If love came down to feeling, let's be honest, our love would constantly be changing. It would constantly be, be wavering. So love is not feeling, love is not emotion. Here's what love is, catch this. Love is a commitment that leads to action. That's what love is. Love is a commitment that leads to action. It's an eternal giving of oneself to another. That's what we're talking about, okay? So I wanna start this endeavor today in the book of Matthew chapter 22. And I wanna start by just setting the stage a little bit so you understand what exactly is going on here. Because here's the first question that I want us to ask ourselves, okay? Let's really start digging into this. Here's the first question. How are we doing? How are you and I doing when it comes to reflecting this aspect of God? 
We've talked about from the very beginning of this series, this is an important part of knowing God, right? That we would reflect him, that we would be like him. So how are we doing when it comes to this concept of love? So we go to Matthew 22. This is in the middle of Jesus's ministry. And already by this point in his ministry, he has done so many amazing things, right? I mean, he's healed people. He's, he's taught some amazing messages. And yet in the process, he's also upset quite a few people as well, in particular, um, the religious people of the day, right? He has stepped on so many of their traditions. I mean, he's talked against so many of the things that they live their lives by. And so we see something interesting happening in the narrative at this point because these guys, what they're doing now is they're going to start asking Jesus questions with the intent to get him to trip up right? They want him to make a mistake. They want him to say something wrong so that they can call him out, so that they can hold him accountable. That's what they're doing. So we get to this part in scripture. This guy comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, let's, uh, let's put everything else to the side. Okay, let's, let's, let's put everything else out of the picture. Here's my question. What is the greatest commandment? Like, just tell me. Just If, if this is ultimately what's most important, tell me what the priority should be in my life. And this is what we read starting in verse 37. And so he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. You wanna know what the priority is? You wanna know what the number one commandment is? Love the Lord your God. But he doesn't stop there. This is what we go on to read in verse 39. But the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Watch how he finishes this. He says, for on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. This is what he's telling them. Listen, all the things that you've been reading in the Old Testament, all the things that you live by, the rules, the regulations, you can sum it up with this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the priority. That's my expectation for you. Now let's remind ourselves of what Jesus means when he says the word love, because this is gonna be helpful for us. What he means is a giving of yourself for the benefit of another. That's what he's talking about when he says love. So I want you to think about the implications of what that means for how you love God and for how you love other people. I want you to think about this for a second. And so let's start with this question, okay? Let's start here. Does your life show actively, right now, does it show that you are giving of yourself to God? Does your life show that you are actively giving of yourself to him? And let me just be really clear about this, because if this is the number one commandment, we have to be serious about it, okay? We, we have to really give ourselves to this. If all you are giving God is your Sunday morning, that's not enough. That's, that's not sufficient. If you were only committed to your spouse one day a week, they would have serious grounds to question your love for them, right? So that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is an everyday lifestyle that is marked by what you are giving to God. That is love. So, so are you giving God your time? Are you giving God your affection? Are you giving God your talents? Are you giving him your heart? What would be the answer to those questions? We need to be serious about this. One of my um, favorite quotes of all time is by a man named John Wooden. He was a basketball coach at UCLA, a really wise man, but also a very well-known Christian. And uh, I love what he said here. He says, if I were ever prosecuted for my belief in Christ, I truly hope there would be enough evidence to convict me. 
I love that. Man, if, if I were prosecuted for my belief in him, man, I hope there's enough evidence to convict me of that. I want you to personalize that. I want you to think about that in your life. How much evidence would the people around you be able to gather up as it relates to your love for God? What type of evidence is out there on your behalf? Now, this might seem like a really fundamental concept, but this can actually be one of the most eye-opening exercises for us to go through, especially as Christians, especially if we put ourselves in that place. Because can we just be honest about it? We talk about how much we love God all the time. I mean, we, we say it all the time. We sing it every Sunday, if not more. I mean, this is a constant in our life. But if we're being honest about it, like seriously, if we were to look inward at really what's going on in our hearts, more often than not, when we say these things, what we're really talking about is the same love that we have for that pizza. It's the same love that we have for that TV show. Here's what it is. It's a love that says, what can you offer me? What, what can you do for me, God? That's what I'm interested in, Right? That's what we show him more often than not. So here is a huge question that I want you to ponder. And you're gonna have to really wrestle with this. Listen to me. Do you serve God because of what he can do for you or are you serving him because of what you can do for him? Is it about you or is it about him? I want you to think about this because if you wanna know whether you love God or not, the answer to that question might be everything. That might just reveal everything you need to know. If love is a giving of oneself to another, how much of that is showing up in your life? How much of that is showing up in your relationship with God? If this is the number one commandment, we better be serious. We better be serious about this endeavor, okay? Now, we have to keep the ball rolling on this concept because we do see that loving God is ultimately what is most important for us, right? That is ultimately number one, but we do also see that Jesus didn't just stop there, right? He says that he wants us to love him, but he also says, I want you to love one another, right? He, he takes this even further. So what we're seeing here is that this concept is not just an upward concept, but it's also an outward concept, okay? So this is something that should be on display towards the people in our lives as well, okay? And so I want to do this exercise real quick because um, we could take this in so many different directions, right? I mean, I could talk about, you know, how much this is showing up in your relationships with people. I could ask you how much time and effort you really put towards other people. I mean, those would be questions you need to think about. But here's really what I'm interested in this morning. What's the quality of the love that you are putting on display? Like really, if it were tested, what's the authenticity that we're really talking about? And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about right now in your mind, I want you to think about the people in your life that you are closest to. I want you to think about those people right now. Picture them in your mind. These are the people that I'm closest to in my life. And I want you to think about this. What would be the ratio of how much you take in those relationships versus how much you give in those relationships? What's the ratio of take versus give? Think about that. Now, I know some of you well enough to know what you're thinking is, I'll tell you this much, I give a lot more than those other people do, right? I mean, I got a lot more to bring to the table than those other people do, but do you? Seriously, do you? Because that mindset alone shows me you're a lot more selfish than you think you are, right? I mean, can we just be real about it? Here's the truth of the matter. We all think that we bring more to the table than we actually do. We, we all think that we give more than we actually do because we see everything we do, 
right? I mean, we see every little thought and every little action that we do. We don't see every little thought and every little action of those other people. It's all through this lens of selfishness, right? And so catch this, there is this mindset, there's this perspective here around love that you and I so often just don't get. We're not grasping this the way that we need to. And let me show you this in scripture, okay? We go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse four, and we see this beautiful concept of love rise to the surface. But watch the heart behind it. This is what we read. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, if you leaned into every word of what that just said, you would see an unbelievable amount of selflessness in that. Do you see the type of mindset perspective that I'm talking about? I mean, ultimately, here's what love is. Love is an inside-out endeavor. That's what it is. It's inside out. And when that's the case, guess what? There's kindness, there's patience, there's love, right? When it's an outside-in endeavor, when I'm taking in and, and consuming, guess what? I become really envious, I become really irritable. I take count of every wrongdoing because it's about me. It's about what I'm getting in the scenario. But love is an inside-out endeavor. It's a giving of oneself to another. And catch this. This is what Jesus asks for you to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. He wants us to love in that type of way. In fact, that should be our identity. That should be who we are. That should be the culture that we should sustain around here. We are to be a people of love. That's who God has called us to be, okay? Now, at this point, we have to turn the corner a little bit with this concept because um, there is something here that is more important than anything else we've discussed up to this point. Okay. Ultimately, I want us to be serious about putting these things on display and really checking ourselves in our day-to-day -day actions. But ultimately, there's an aspect of this that we need to understand more than anything else. This ultimately, as you walk out today, this is what I want you to recognize and have a good hold of. Okay. And so we're going to go to one particular writer of scripture. And uh, if you've been around here long enough, you're thinking, Paul, right? We're going to the Apostle Paul. And you're wrong. And how dare you assume that? No, we're going we're gonna to go to the Apostle John, okay? And, uh, and because John has such a beautiful perspective on this concept of love. He really does, man. It's, it's such a cool thing that we see revealed in Scripture. And uh, in fact, this is why I like reading the Bible so much, because it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. I mean, we do believe that it's the Word of God, but we also see it through different outlooks and perspectives, Maybe you've never made this connection before, but you know, a guy like John, he was just like us. He went through ups and downs just like us. He had his own relationship with God. So we see these beautiful events unfold, but we see it through the perspective of somebody with their own complexities and, and intricacies. It's this really cool thing. And John, when it comes to the con concept of love, just, man, he had so much wisdom to bring to light, and, and I want to dig into this. So we go to John chapter 11, 
Starting in verse one. Now, at this point in his writing, he's really just recounting um, events of Jesus's life. Okay, he's really just talking about the things that he witnessed or heard about. So this is what we read simply in verse number one. It says, now a certain man named Lazarus was sick. Now let's let's hit pause on this for just a second because we talk uh, around here all the time about how important context is, right? How we really need to see the full picture so that we can really understand what is going on. So we need to play a little bit of catch up here because um, while we just read some random man named Lazarus, what we have to understand is that for Jesus, it's very different. Okay, Lazarus was not some random man to Jesus. Lazarus was actually a very close friend of his. In fact, Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, were some of Jesus's closest friends. Like outside of his immediate family and of course his disciples, these were the people he was spending most of his time with. I mean, he was really close with them. In fact, just the week before, he goes to the cross and pays the ultimate sacrifice. He's in Bethany with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. These are special people to him. And as we just read, his buddy Lazarus is sick. Now, um, it's much more serious than that, actually. At this point, Lazarus is uh, literally on death's doorstep. I mean, if something doesn't change, if somebody doesn't uh, intervene at this point, he's gonna die. I mean, this is inevitable. And so with this becoming more and more clear, as you can imagine, um, his sisters are distraught. I mean, they, man, they are struggling. They have to sit there and watch as, as their brother just slowly dies before their very eyes. And as would be the case for, for any one of us, I mean, they feel helpless, right? Like they, they wanna help so bad, but they can't do anything about this. But there is one man that they know can help. The problem is that one man, Jesus, is about six miles from them at that point, fulfilling his ministry. Now, you and I hear six miles and we think about a, a 10 minute car ride, right? No problem at all. But of course, back then, no transportation and traveling through hills and valleys, that's a, a really long trip that honestly, Mary and Martha, they can't take as their brother is literally dying before their very eyes. So catch this, they come up with a game plan. This is what they're gonna do. They're gonna write a letter to Jesus. They're gonna let him know what's going on. And then they're gonna employ a runner who can get it to Jesus as quickly as possible. Okay, this is the approach that they're going to take. Now, I want you to stop and I want you to think about this. If the contents of that letter were up to you, what would you write to Jesus? If it were your family member's life that was on the line, they were dying before your very eyes, and what mattered was the words on that letter, what would you say to Jesus? Because I've thought about this. If, if it were my family, if it were my brother's life who was on the line, can I be honest with you? I would pour out my heart and my soul into that thing. I mean, I would muster up every word I possibly could to appeal to the heart of Jesus. I would give it everything I have. And, and I thought about it. Here's what I would appeal to. This, honestly, this is what I would say. Listen, Jesus, my brother, he's one of the good ones. He, he is. I mean, he, he loves you so much. He, he puts his talents and abilities on display for you. I know, I know you know this. Would you please come and help him? Would you please come and heal him? And yet, as we read through chapter 11, we see something very interesting because the sisters of Lazarus take a very different approach. In fact, they, they go a completely different direction than I would have went. It was a very short letter. In fact, it was, it was quite brief. Uh, it didn't have a bunch of feeling and emotion in it at all. This is what we read in verse three. So the sisters sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. He whom you love is sick. 
This is what they say. Now, maybe this isn't clicking for you initially, but here's what I want you to think about. Mary and Martha have spent a ton of time with Jesus by this point. I mean, if anybody knows the real heart of Jesus by this point, it's them. And here's the amazing thing that they've come to realize. While their love for him is important, it's not what matters most. The number one thing in the heart of Jesus is his love for you. That's what matters most. And so with their brother's life literally on the line and just a few words to spare, this is their appeal to Jesus. Lord, the one that you love is sick. The one that you love, he he needs you. See, this is what you need to grasp here. It wasn't about what Lazarus could offer Jesus. It wasn't about what Lazarus could do for Jesus. The only thing that mattered is that Jesus loved Lazarus. That's the only thing that mattered in the equation. And this is what Mary and Martha appeal to. See, this is why the Apostle John would later go on to write this in 1 John 4, verse 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And and that is love. So yes, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. But the very first thing that you need to understand is that he loves you. That's the number one thing that you need to hold on to. That's the, the number one thing that you need to settle in your heart as you leave here today. He loves you. And again, John knows this better than anybody I promise you he does. In fact, we see a really interesting thing happen throughout the writings of John because on five different occasions, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I'm the the disciple who Jesus loved. Now, initially, that might not do anything for you, but I promise you, if I introduced myself today outside in the foyer as the pastor whom Jesus loved, you're not coming back, right? I'm not seeing you ever again. That's weird. That's, That's strange. Here's what's so cool about this. John writes this five different times. Not one random time, five different times. He's intentional about this. Every single time the Holy Spirit goes, yep, that's right. He is the disciple that I love. I do love him that much. See, the biggest thing that you need to understand, what's most important for you is that God loves you. He cherishes you. He cares for you. And let me remind you what that means for you. This is really cool to think about. That means that God is committed to you and his actions will follow suit. Did you hear me? That means God is committed to you and his actions will follow. So catch this. His love isn't that type of emotional love that flickers and wavers based off of what you do for him. It's not that type of love. It's not gonna fade because you don't give him enough attention. No, we're talking about a commitment to protect you, to provide for you, and to care for you. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Now, now here's another thing. It's not just that God loves you because that's an amazing fact to think about. The fact that God loves you at all is, is amazing. Here's what's even more amazing The level that God loves you is beyond your comprehension. The level that God loves you is beyond anything that you could ever imagine. Now, I know that that's really tough for you to believe, and I know sometimes that's really hard to settle in your heart because of the things that you've done, but I promise you this is true. Listen to me. Listen, this is what we read in Scripture. Paul says, I wish that you would grasp how wide how long, how high, how deep his love is for you. Paul says, I wish that you would just grasp this. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor height nor depth nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God. 
Think about that. Nothing can separate us from the amazing love of God. It's so deep. It's so immeasurable that we can't even begin to understand the depths of it. Now, if you still struggle with really believing that, if that's still hard for you to really accept, I want to I just point you to one thing. If you, if you find it hard to believe that God loves you, if you kind of argue internally about whether that would be true or not, I want to point you to the cross. Because all morning we've been talking about how ultimately the proving ground of love is action. Right? That's ultimately what it shows us. Let me read you a few scriptures that so beautifully bring this to light. We go to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, we've read that many times around here, but did you notice the motive? It's his love for you. That's why he did that. We see the same thing if we go back to John's writings in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. That's how, that's how he feels about you. That's his motive. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Let me give you one more. You wanna know how much he loves you? This is what we read in John 15, 13. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. No greater love than that. Nothing can top that. Nothing can surpass that. And this is what he's done for you. He went to the cross. He paid the price. He took the punishment and the weight that you deserved. He accomplished it all on our behalf. You want to know how much he loves you? He loves you that much. That he would put everything on the line to take care of his child. 